everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen LaMarca, Technology Analyst. What's going on, Steve? How's uh, coronavirus-19 treating you? Um, fortunately, hasn't affected me yet, uh, and, and nobody I know, good. thankfully. That's good. Um, Things have but, changed uh, uh, very quickly from the last time we recorded in studio. Yeah. Yeah. For one, I'm on my couch yep. at home and I got to say, man, um, working from home is tough. I know that, you know, we know we work with a lot of people back at the office who are good at working from home. Sure. And I feel like, you know, since we've been doing this for almost two weeks now, um, that I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, however, I, 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 I got I got a bad taste in my mouth. I do not <laughs> like working from home. This sucks. Yeah, when you're forced into it, it's completely different. I mean, you've never preferred to, and I've done it a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, but in the current situation, uh, so I've got a five year old at home with me too. That they shut down all our schools in the county. So, and I I can't take her to daycare because uh, she's a potential carrier because Depot works at the hospital. So yeah. Amelia and myself are just sitting at home, just staring at each other for eighteen hours a day. <laughs> I can actually picture that, and it is hilarious. <laughs> it's uh, the struggle is real, man. And plus, yeah. Uh, so they shut down the schools uh, physically, so they're trying to do distance learning or remote learning, which is great mm-hmm. conceptually. But they're late in rolling everything out, and they rolled out yeah. kind of hack jobs. So they rolled out. Okay, they said, uh, here, here's something you guys can do in the in the short term. There's a couple of websites they sent us. Fine. Um, the the activities that they rolled out were like a PowerPoint presentation. What's a five year old going to do with a PowerPoint presentation? <laughs> I almost lost my computer across the room. I can only imagine, man. Oh man, Russ, uh, you know our colleague Russ. Him and I, we had a uh, a Zoom meeting um, late last week, and we were we both took the time out of our uh, meeting block. Um, because we were so productive during it. Um, we took the time to vent about how much we both hate working from home. And I, and it's funny. I, I actually found that interesting because I, I figured that he would be somebody who's really good at working from home no, he and prefers it, yeah. but he's not. Like yeah. he, he's a closet extrovert. And yeah. Yeah. and he, he you know, he, he hates working from home. And I don't hate working from home because I'm an extrovert. I'm definitely a closet introvert. I hide the fact that I'm really introverted. I love being at home and I love avoiding people. But my problem is when five o'clock comes around, I don't get to walk out of the building, (laughs) turn the key in my car, sit in traffic, and then all of a sudden I'm back in heaven. You have no clothes. I'm back at home. (laughs) I'm home now. Yeah. And I'm doing work at home when I shouldn't be working at home. And I mean, I'm supposed to be working, but I shouldn't be working at home. And at the end of the day, it's like I leave and I'm still here. I like the, it, uh, it, the Russ, Russ put it beautifully. Yeah. And let me summarize real quick. I'm sorry for keep cutting you off. Sorry. But working from home, he, he put it this way. Working from home does not make work better it makes home suck and i, I it's 100 percent true That's i true. totally feel it all of the feels yeah the current joke that i've uh liked recently is uh so when five o'clock rolls around you take off your morning pajamas to put your afternoon pajamas on yeah and my daughter's I, here now trying to take up the <laughs> podcast so why don't you talk us to, uh, walk us through the test bed now that we're locked out of the facility so 
we are to- your way to way to transfer it uh, or uh, transition. Um, we are totally locked out of the facility. I mean, we can get in there if we absolutely need to get something, but um, Tim and Doug, our president and our our uh, vice president tim and cto told us, don't don't yeah. forget the CTO. oh yeah part. that's right cto <laughs> chief technology officer now um he uh they tim essentially told me there will be no test bed operations right. during this like like go like come to the office to grab something that you need but no working in the office whatsoever um so with knowing that and with hearing that it's been officially the test bed is on hold. All projects are on hold. All weekly updates are on hold. I do want I meant to publish an update last Friday saying that, hey, if you're checking here for um, a project, just to let you know, locked out of the office. Everybody's working from home and I don't have the test bed at home. So there will be no updates here. All of that being said, I kind of have been doing some experiments. Yeah. So right before we were ordered to work from home, um, Sharab tells Russ and I, hey, the Raspberry Pis, uh, of of the three Raspberry Pis we have on the test bed being used as a, uh, as MT Connect, um, not adapters, agents. Yep. um, The oldest of the three has finally, died okay it's, it's kaput it's yep. fried yep. um and it was a pretty old it was an older raspberry pi and we do run these things 24 7 like they don't get to stop sure. and they're at 70 percent processing capacity at all times um just streaming data sure um but uh the oldest one finally died so i was like okay let me i need something to do because i hate work this was in the early this is like after one day of working at home i was like <laughs> i need to get out of the house um so i ran down to micro center at micro center uh, because i didn't feel like ordering it online and i wanted to leave the house micro center that has uh, actually has a really good supply of like makers equipment and okay. maker uh, electronics so they had all of, like they didn't only have like all of the raspberry pies but they also had a lot of beagle bones and whatever the nvidia one is i think it's the nvidia shield um oh, they, have, they, they had a lot uh, yeah. of cool stuff sure. that was i was actually kind of drooling over but our stack our setup at the office for the test bed is raspberry pies so i wanted to keep it you know, pretty uh, consistent. I did notice, however, there is um, a a newer, you know, better Raspberry Pi, the 4B. Cool. And it's available in one, two, and four gigabyte RAM uh, setups. So I'm like, you know what? I'm expensing this. So why don't I just uh, hook up the test bed with the latest (laughs) and greatest Pi? Let's get a 4B with four gigs of RAM. And it's a matter of a couple of bucks difference. Let's be honest. (laughs) It's a couple of bucks. The cheapest Raspberry Pi, because that organization, and these computers are made in England, by the way. They're not getting something made out of China. That's another reason I want to stick with Raspberry Pis, because they are made in, you know, UK, which is awesome. Um, Anyway, uh, grab the 4B, 4 gig RAM, take it to the office. I start to unbox it. And then I look at the board and I'm like, it's the same size. It's the same shape, but there are different ports here and the ports are in different locations. I screwed up because I'm trying to keep things. The only reason to stick with the pie at this point is my original, my initial logic was to stay with the same form factor and to keep, keep it consistent. And 
the new pie is ever so slightly different. Ah. So I'm like, oh, all right. Well, hey, guess what? Back to Micro Center. <laughs> drive back to Micro Center. But on the drive there, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I've always wanted one of these pies for myself. Okay. So, and this is the latest and greatest one. Sure. That's open box now. So they can't resell it because it's a sealed box. They come okay. in sealed boxes too. Um, I can get the money back, but they can't. This is going to go in the waste bin. I've always wanted to buy myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring this one home. This is going to be my new personal computer. I'm going to have a desktop replacement. That is probably the weakest desktop replacement <laughs> you can buy, but it'll be fun. It'll be sure. fun. And, you know, I'll learn something through it. Okay. Um, Cause it was fun using the, the first time I had uh, Russ gave me a, not gave me, but uh, he got um, one of the first pieces, second piece of test bed equipment actually was the uh, second raspberry Pi where we ran, we, I, programmed another mt connect simulator on it have some experience with it and i wanted a little bit more of a taste to it on a and there's some vintage video games that i kind of want to play like uh star wars dark forces oh, which man. is an old like essentially doom wad that's going way back uh, it's going way back and i want to i want to play that again anyway all that to say this, that went back to Micro Center, got the right pie, brought it back to the office, just threw it down on the test bed, still in box, still sealed. I'm not fiddling with it. Sharb can do that when we're back in the office <laughs> yeah. after all this clears up. Okay. I'm taking this new pie home and playing with it. That's awesome. So I've been running some experiments, just uh, learning to code, stuff like that. Okay. I, um, what's some of the experiments I did? Um, um, got some streaming going so on? I, yeah, like... I've been I've been testing it. They advertise it as this is this is in a light case scenario, a desktop computer replacement. Okay. And I'm like, what do I use a desktop computer most for? Surfing the web and yep. watching 4K video on YouTube. Sure. So I try that. It actually for a Raspberry Pi, a single board computer the size of a credit card, it actually but it's the in all honesty, it's really more like the size of a wallet. Okay. Um <laughs> not a Costanza but, wallet, a normal wallet. Yeah, a normal okay. wallet, and and it actually does it really well. But I did notice about you know five hours into doing what I normally do on you know free time, which is just YouTube videos while simultaneously surfing the web, um, a little temperature icon, a little sure. thermometer icon pops up in the corner when it gets above eighty degrees sustained. Okay, which means to keep it from overheating and you know melting apart. Yep. Um, it throttles the CPU, which means you no longer get as much computer power, uh, yep. computing power. That's good. So I looked into that, and I programmed my first um, Bash script, oh. which I, with the help of Google, <laughs> I, d I did a lot of this. Okay. But I did write my first code that is essentially all mine. And I feel really proud of it, but That's it's solid. just a bash script that allows me to monitor the CPU and GPU temperatures of the Pi. That's good. Um, and I'm surprised the the throttling temperatures that low because uh, I've been running uh, a folding at home experiment, and uh, we'll get into that later. And I peak around 89, close to 90 degrees on oh, a gotcha. standard CPU Celsius. And to to clarify for our science savvy listeners. Um, degrees celsius yeah yeah not fair you know, not fahrenheit <laughs> i i give pat such a hard time uh for not throwing it when he's talking and throwing out numbers um no throwing units. up numbers better said <laughs> you know he doesn't like to use units yeah. and here we go not using units we yeah. say degrees but degrees celsius degrees celsius um yeah. 
but yeah, I, I programmed this uh, this way to monitor temperature, even though after doing some more Google dig- digging, um, found out that, you know, you can right click on like the toolbar and there's already like a program for that okay. that helps you out. So, but you know, whatever you can't, you can't replace uh, learning to write a little bit of code. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's solid. That's a good experience. Another thing that I've done lately is be, to, to try to like taper off that temperature uh, peaking. Um, I installed some heat sinks oh, okay. and they work all right. Sure. But I need bigger heat sinks. And instead of using thermal pads, some off-brand thermal pad, probably from China, they're not even like 3M thermal pads. Yeah. They're like a no name. Um, 3M would be an upgrade, but even more of an upgrade from that. I think next I'm going to rip the heat sinks off, clean them up with some 91% uh, isopropyl alcohol, and then get some proper like uh, thermal grizzly, thermal paste, thermal yeah. grease, and right. then reattach the... Uh, the heat sinks and see if that helps a little bit more. Okay. Those are passive heat sinks, right? No fan or anything. Yeah. I don't want a fan because you know, I want a quiet computer. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. But that's everything that's going on with the test bed right yeah, now. Man. Let's jump into some articles. I got, uh, yes. Pass along an article from Lori, uh, from autology and, uh, they're talking about computer vision system. So, uh, the case awesome. that they presented and that'll be in the show notes is, uh, so if I have a global factory and I've got a, a, uh, a factory that's, uh, say, in China or a place where I can't travel to. How do I know what's going on? So obviously, uh, you could put a webcams, you could put up uh, some integrated surveillance equipment. That's one solution. Uh, what they talk about is uh, remote monitoring with some artificial intelligence or machine learning built into it. So the scenarios that they talk about are <clears throat> being able to remotely view something, but being able to convert that into a dashboard for uh, data analytics. So I went, I scrolled through the website. uh, They walked through a couple of different scenarios where, uh, you know, uh, putting a camera on something. So putting a camera facing on a, uh, a gauge. So I have have an older piece of equipment and I wanted to collect that data. Um, One thing I could do is connect sensors and pull the data, or if I already have a digital readout, uh, I could put a camera on it and then it can and then it could tell me what that data is, and then it'll convert that into, say, a run chart of what those uh, discrete readings are over time. And that's the interesting technology that they bring about is uh, they have a use case that they talk about when they're trying to monitor a um, uh, setup, a, a changeover in setup. Uh, and that's done quite often in terms of uh, setup reduction. So uh, if you look at process optimization, you want to reduce your setup time to get to running the parts as quickly as possible. Uh, So there's a lot of lean and Kaizen projects where they look at, okay, what is my bottleneck in uh, setting up a part? And what they do is they uh, walk us through the use case of, if I have a camera, I can tell you uh, what is the uh, uh, bulb doing. So what is the, uh, uh, do I have, what are my lights on the machine doing? What is my operator actually doing? Is he, by the machine or is he not by the machine? Um, and then it tracks all the information and then it can create a runtime into collecting that information, then processing into a site like a spreadsheet or a dashboard. So you can not have someone staring there at the operator collecting the information with the clipboard. You get that all post-processed. So I thought that was really interesting uh, technology that they have that inferring data from uh, object recognition through uh, machine learning and um, computer vision into yeah. getting useful data that you could splice and figure out what to do later on as opposed to having human digested and then create reports. Yeah. Looking back at 
what I saw at CES in January. Yep. Three months later, one of the things that still eerily somewhat sticks in my mind from the things that I saw was uh, computer vision. Okay. And it's crazy how much data, how much information a computer uh, computer vision can pull from a video feed. Oh yeah. Definitely. So like you're talking about like a camera looking at a dial. Yep. No joke. Uh, um, at CES, there was like this TV television monitor, um, with a camera on top of it. And it was just like pointing out into like the crowd of people, like sure. the hall of people walking by. But as people walked by, like it put a box around the person yep. and, if you stood in front of it and you looked a little bit closer about like some of the other data that it was putting on, that it was overlaying the image of people walking by, like if you stood in front of the camera, it told you how tall you were. <laughs> That's cool. What, what, um, your, your, your waist size is, oh, wow. what your chest size is. Um, yeah, uh, it, it did a bunch, like the temperature of your forehead, wow. it pulled so much data just <laughs> from that like video feed. It yeah. was really creepy yeah but also really cool sure like a lot of these things are like dual use goods seemingly like <laughs> immediately your brain goes to how it can be used for evil but it can oh, yeah. be used for yeah. so many great things yeah. too i've seen a couple of that's use, wild a couple Computer of years nuts uh where they have uh, fashion stores or stores selling clothing where they have a interactive mirror using Those the same awesome. type of things and it overlays your measurements and your different clothes and uh, i was at virginia tech and they showed a use case where they have a, a computer that or uh, excuse me, a camera that overlooks their entire learning factory. And it shows heat maps of where the operators are. So at the end of the day, you could say, well, where was everybody? Or you could do an uh, analysis of uh, process optimization that way and things like that. So yeah. they were using single board chips also. They had a Jetson Nano, uh, NVIDIA no card, yep. uh, basically no handling all that video feed, doing the crunching, and then spitting out reports. So I thought that was super solid. Uh, tell me about Jetson your Nano. That's a that's a powerful single board. Computer. It's pretty powerful. They're underrated. Uh, walk me through your micro additive article. Micro additive, man. So this awesome little article came up on Tech Trends um, about a breakthrough in micro additive technology, and just r reading through the exact process they were using, I thought it was awesome because um, back when we were in the old building. Um, I remember reporting to you guys uh, in the tech department on um, what Rolex was doing with okay. micro additive and micro machining. Yep. So this article touches on a process that is a relative, uh, a new breakthrough process in micro additive manufacturing. Um, but the coolest thing about it was reading this process, it's going to have a huge influence on a process that has been in use by Rolex, the, the watch manufacturer, for roughly the past five years. Okay. And um, that process is uh, LIGA, which is uh, a German acronym for a manufacturing process okay. that doesn't necessarily, the letters don't translate to English very well, but LIGA is... Um, um, Lithography, which is additive, electroplating or galvanization of whatever your part is or whatever, yeah, whatever the workpiece is, and um, molding. So this process in the article, they're talking about making, using micro additive to make molds, to make, 
to cast parts. Okay. And Rolex has literally been doing this for roughly the past five years. Cool. And they've been using micro additive to create molds uh, to uh, cast uh, their miniature escapement wheels, oh, okay. which are a key functioning part of moving part of the watch. And they even uh, implement micro machining as well to clean up all the surfaces. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice seeing that like, you know, every now and then a, a purist, a snob like me scoffs at um, Rolex because they're not a traditional Swiss watchmaker. They sure. are a Swiss watchmaker, but uh, they're fully automated. Okay. Don't for a second think that they have Swiss watchmakers like artisans, on an assembly line, yep. make, making those watches and putting them together. It's fully automated. And this Absolutely. is one of those automated process. So it may disgust you as a watch snob like <laughs> myself, but as somebody in the manufacturing industry, seeing them use full automation is actually really cool. And it's awesome. Yeah. And they have a spot in my heart for that alone. Awesome. Yeah. Even though the really other like side of my heart might be <laughs> mad at them. <laughs> the conflict within your heart, Steve. Yeah, man. Uh, so the article I've got is about uh, feedback on a manual machine, and this is from Hackaday. And it's cool. kind of based on some research that I think Stanford was doing. And the idea was to uh, have a manual machine but provide the user uh, some feedback. Uh, and they're doing the feedback a couple of different ways. Uh, so uh, they cover three things that the machine does. It's kind of interesting. And then I'll get into what the machine is a little bit more. Uh, so they want to communicate intent basically from the operator to the workpiece, uh, perceive a state, uh, back to the operator and use a scaffolding technique, which is a kind of learning mechanism uh, based on uh, uh, feedback. So the idea is if I have a manual lathe, uh, which is a, uh, the, war, the scenario that they walk us through, and I've got uh, manual dials, what they're doing is interrupting those manual dials uh, into a digital processor that actually feeds the machine. <clears throat> and then there's a haptic feedback uh, back to the controls. So it's a straightforward machine to access wow. a manual lathe. Uh, and they have a little GUI system that you can define certain things. So um, the GUI system allows you to define like presets. So if you want to go up to a certain point, the manual machine will uh, the machine will allow you to index to a certain diameter or to a certain length and then stop right there. So instead of having to look at the digital readout and then index it over, or kind of get close to that and then manually stop, the machine will actually stop for you. So I thought that was really interesting that they could that is wild. do a basically interrupt. And then what they're doing is uh, on the scaffolding technique, basically teaching the operator different techniques of if I've got a drill and I'm drilling a, a certain depth, I've got to feed back out uh, to allow for chip clearance and then feed back in. So what yeah. they do is they uh, force that interrupt. So as the operator feeds in, uh, it stops and then it realizes you're not at a certain depth forces the operator to pull back out and then go, go back in to reach their final depth. That uh, is so cool. Would you say, and, and this is, I think this is a cool question. Would you say that is a form of augmented reality? Uh, uh, that's, we that's think augmented reality yeah. is typically being something visual. Correct, correct. You know, using, but if the machine is simulating what it feels like to sure. go, to hit the limit on yep. something, and you're not really, it's just as far as you should go, but right, it's telling right. you in terms of feel. Would you say that's a form of augmented reality? Yeah. I mean, now that you put me on the spot, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, you're basically <laughs> interrupting, uh, the, uh, the, the manual process with the electric, uh, signal and you're getting feedback and you're, um, changing the output of what you're putting in, um, somewhat. So, 
instead of like you mentioned a visual interruption, right? So if I've got a camera and a lens, you're interrupting that visual presentation with the lens by putting a, a projection on it, right? right. Here you're physically. Uh, what sense is that? That your touch, the sense of touch that you're interrupting. Yeah, yeah. That that is so cool. I'll bring this up I with think, Doug. I'll let him make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that, that that reminds me of like, um, you know, since the automotive industry to uh, the the demise of a lot of to upset a lot of car enthusiasts, uh, you know, uh, hydraulic power steering has since gone to electric power steering. Sure. And the biggest complaint with electric power steering is there's no feel. Right, right. Yeah, it, it works well, yep. and it's probably more reliable sure. than hydraulic power steering. But you can't feel the road right. the way you used to on like a hydraulic power steering on a sports car. And I can see this being implemented in cars so to to, to simulate the feel of a road <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah, um, and, and that's, that's cool. That's a really good parallel that you bring up because I, I did think of that of the transition to electric steering wheels. Uh, and I think that's an underlying theme to help get to autonomous driving. So mm-hmm. it's one technology, but I, I agree oh, with you sure. that it's, there's a lot of parallels of what they're doing to what automotive is doing. And I think there's a lot of cross feed technologies that can support each other. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about uh, 3d printing valves. Dude. Okay. So there is a article that went, that was published, I think the 14th of this month, but and it's not only that original article is not only a really good read, but they've been updating it every day since, okay. especially since it pertains to COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus um, and, and and the p- pandemic. But, um, yeah, it's been updated every day, and it's about the, the valves, the respirator valves for uh, uh, the coronavirus suffering patients. Okay. Um, and anyway – a lot of patients need these emergency um, uh, breather valves, ventilator valves, um, so they can continue to breathe, of course. And these valves are made by a pharmaceutical company and mass-produced, um, but they're sold for $11,000. <laughs> that seems excessive. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's roughly $11,000. I don't sure. know. That, I'm sure. not sure that's the exact price tag, but uh, I'm sure insurance companies also have a bit of a problem being like, what? It's, it's how much? But um, <laughs> even, even still, like people without uh, ins- uh, health insurance, you know, you've got you've to eat that $11,000 respirator bill All and right. being that i think this uh these valves are being like stabbed into like your trachea so you can breathe i'm sure it's not a happy eleven thousand dollars <laughs> to spend sure um but regardless um that seems a bit extreme and excessive uh so there's like i i think it started out by it's in the article it started out by like this italian additive company was okay. like okay this is absurd that these are eleven thousand dollars a pop we're going to reverse engineer them. We're going to share the the data on reverse engineering them. And then we're going to start additive. We're going to start printing these valves oh, wow. and just distributing them That's to cool. people who need them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been really cool because a lot of additive companies around the world have like started, okay, we're going to take this file that is being distributed now and we're going to start printing these valves and everybody's doing it now, yeah. which is awesome. And they're running into some, the original company that started it, um, 
is running into some backlash, of course, from the company that produces these because now that company is no longer getting a sweet $11,000 per valve that uh, is being spent. Some of these are essentially being pirated. Right. And, you know, to hell with them. But uh, (laughs) when this whole pandemic clears up, you know, and they take them to court eventually, there's no way that it's going to hold in court. But it's just it's it's a really interesting article to follow. And the moral of the story is not some pharmaceutical company, but an additive company and additive companies around the world are the heroes of the day. And that does bring up an interesting thing that I was thinking about uh, this past week with my daughter being home and trying to do remote learning at a five-year-old is after we get through this pandemic is there's going to be a a cultural shift both in generation, whatever the current generation is. I, I hate giving generations names. It doesn't make any sense to me. So whatever generation that grows up from this event, they'll learn something different. But also the industry is going to go through some dynamic changes also. So, for example, this guy that is reverse engineering and doing some distributed manufacturing through uh, 3D printing, that's going to change the industry. So there will be some short-term changes and then some generational changes in terms of how they learn and how they uh, engage the workforce. That will be significantly different. And uh, we should yeah. probably talk about that in a later podcast once we get through this and what changes we could see in the future. I saw a meme the other day of like uh, an argument point that will be used by the future generation. So your daughter, might, sure. when she has a kid and their kid, her kid wants to go out one night to a party or whatnot. And she says, no, you can't go out tonight. It's like, you're so mean. That's unfair. Unfair. When I was a kid, I had to stay inside for three months straight <laughs> and not go anywhere because of some virus that originated in China. <laughs> She'll use that forever. Yep. It's definitely – there's going to be a huge uh, um, um, shift. Just like I used to walk in uh, in the snow with newspaper shoes uphill both mm-hmm. ways. <laughs> yep. So the, school both ways. The last article that I have before we get to yours uh, is about distributed computing. So it's kind of carryover from yours. So this group called Folding at Home uh, is a distributed yes. computing system where uh, they, what, the core of what they're doing is research on proteins for creating a cure for like cancer, for pretty severe illnesses. Mm-hmm. And then since uh, uh, the coronavirus spun up, they've been actively analyzing uh, different protein modules to look at vaccines and cures. So if a university or if a research group has something that can be analyzed through like a supercomputer, what they've done is said, okay, we can't get a supercomputer, but what we can do is break these up into small small modules and let the world analyze them on their personal computers and then we'll aggregate that information back. Yeah. Uh, So it's a really, really interesting approach to solving like big problems. And the article that I got from PC Gamer was uh, comparing the throughput of the distributed uh, folding at home network versus what Oak Ridge National Lab does in their own supercomputer processing capability. And it was really interesting that uh, what the article covers is uh, folding at home can do 470 pentaflops of data, which is two times higher than the supercomputers at the Oak Ridge National Labs, which that is wild. just blew my mind that there's that much computing power uh, available yeah. that, you know, you know, my, I've got a gaming computer and a, uh, I've got two computers at home that are basically idle for most of the day. Uh, so you install this app and it just sends packets back and forth and it analyzes things and it does everything in the background. You don't have to do anything. You just right. let it sit there and basically pay for the electricity bill. But it's such a big uh, thing that 
the small amount of processing power that I contribute to the overall picture and is able to aggregate these constructively just blew my mind. Yeah. yeah I was just so surprised by the capability. I, I of- remember when I came home with my PlayStation 3 back in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, the best PlayStation ever. The it was the best man. <laughs> the best I mean, the PS4 is so much better, but but the, the way they sold the PS3 yeah. and one of the one of the ways they sold it was with folding at home. Yeah, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Like I didn't see that as a selling point at all. It wasn't until I plugged it in, plugs into the TV and booted it up and see this like this app, this yeah. this program on the software on on the PS3. And I was like, what is folding at home? And then you start it up and it gives you like this short explanation of what it is. And it was basically like Sony was basically like, dude, your PlayStation 3 is such a powerful computer that it can do the these advanced uh, calculations and computations yep. that supercomputers can't even pull off. So your gaming uh, your gaming console is as powerful as the most powerful supercomputers doing technical research out there. And we need your help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the coolest really thing. And yeah, I remember you know, doing that. And yep. uh, another one of my friends at the time, uh, another kid in the neighborhood uh, had just built his like, he, and he's went on to um, get a PhD in physics. He's way smarter than I am. But he built a gaming PC around the same time that I got my PS3. And he was so impressed by folding at home that he got it on his PS. Uh, he got it on his gaming PC. Yep. But I'm pleased to report that the PS3 was able to do to execute folding at home simulations better yeah. than, uh, than his gaming PC. So, but it's still cool. It's, it's still such cool. a cool app. So just, I mean, just to cover quickly what diseases that the active look like, obviously coronavirus 19. Uh, they're mm-hmm. looking at obviously breast cancer, kidney cancer, some kind of serious ones like dengue fever, Ebola, hepatitis C, wow. uh, Parkinson's. So they're conquering some, trying to conquer some really, really big stuff. Yeah. Get on it. Yeah, um, they are. So speaking of the coronavirus, you've got the best car for the coronavirus at this time. The best car for the coronavirus um, for a while, for, 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 a huge portion of for, for my more mature childhood, <laughs> my favorite car ever, the best car. And, and when people ask me, Steve, what's your favorite car ever? I still say the McLaren F1. Sure. Um, but um, in more recent times, it became the BAC Mono. Okay. Um, Briggs Automotive Company, a little English car company, just like McLaren. Yeah. Um, came out with a BAC Mono, which was essentially a four wheeled motorcycle. It was a Formula One cockpit with four wheels, open wheel architecture, uh, carbon monotube or uh, uh, monocoque chassis. And you essentially drive it in like a laying down position and there's like no interior. So you need to wear a helmet. Um, (laughs) And the other, my other favorite thing about it was because manual transmissions are like no longer a thing in hypercars anymore. This has a sequential dog box. So you need to use the clutch for first gear. But as soon as you're, you're engaged in first gear and you get the revs up above 3000 RPM, then you can use the hydraulic actuating uh, or pneumatic actuating shift paddles cool. on the, uh, the, the game controller looking <laughs> steering wheel. Um, and it's, it's, it's really cool, but the whole thing is um, it's like the, I, I jokingly say it's the perfect car for the coronavirus because it's one passenger. <laughs> it's a single seat. It's perfect for social distancing. <laughs> yeah. And with this, with, with like the lockdown, 
going around the world. Um, I don't know if you've gotten the had the pleasure of going out to drive for any reason whatsoever, oh, but the roads nobody are out. barren. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's out there, and the police have no interest in you. No. So no. it is perfect driving conditions right now, and yep. this is the perfect car for that. Um, but anyway, how does that relate to tech trends and manufacturing industry, what we're trying to talk about? The BAC Mono has recently been updated. Um, and it was this article went out, this YouTube video actually went out last week on the updates on it. So they went to a turbocharged engine, which bothers some purists, but whatever, more power is more power. Um, but how they made this car better is really special. Briggs automotive company teamed up with Autodesk's fusion 360 team and Autodesk's generative design team to make certain components lighter in weight. Um, using generative design, you know, it's, 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 it's generative something like generative design is super useful for light weighting, especially yep. something like, uh, components like, um, uh, suspension knuckles yeah. and, um, you know, control arms and stuff like that. But they've also used it to redesign connecting rods okay. and, um, uh, turbocharger impellers oh, nice. for more power. So yep. they're not only making it lighter weight using something like generative, but they're bringing it more power as well. So it really is the perfect state of the art for a pandemic <laughs> supercar. Not the and cheapest they're car. Much cheaper. They're much, it's a great value compared <laughs> to something like a McLaren P1 <laughs> or a Ferrari LaFerrari, which yeah. are multi million dollar hypercars. This thing's a, a measly, a very lightweight $150,000. <laughs> we talked about Rolexes earlier and $150,000 single yeah, seater. Man, we just live in that Gucci life, man. <laughs> awesome, man. This is a great episode. Uh, Steve, where, 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 where could they find more info about us? They can find more info about us in the description. Um, we've got links to every single article and YouTube video. Uh, Ben's on LinkedIn, and you can find his profile in the description again. Um, and we're still going to put in the uh, the link to the test the the testbed blog, yep. even though there won't be anything really new up there until this uh, pandemic clears up. But I will post a uh, an update saying what's going on and when you can see us again. Awesome. Goodbye, All everybody. Right. Bye.